Okay, I'm going to ask you to get a mental picture. You ever been maybe like camping in the Sierras? just want you to picture like a, a valley. It's like a flat meadow. Big, big, as far as you can see. And then just, just beyond that, mountains start with little hillsides and and they grow into larger, more mountainous kind of region. And, and just picture what it's like. You know that time of day, that perfect, it's like right, right before the sun comes up. And it's just quiet. There's no rustling. The birds are not even singing yet. The, the sky is not black, but it's like this, this, this dark blue color. And, and as you look to the east, it gets just slightly lighter, but there's no sun yet. It's, it's that time of day in a place like that. And there, there's the embers of a fire that are left from last night, just, just embers now, not really putting off any warmth. But sitting next to those embers is a man, and, and he is just stretching and yawning, and he's just trying to get through the night because he's a night guard. And it's his job to stay awake all night and, uh, and alert the men because all around him, there are just countless men just sleeping on the ground. This is the army of God. And there's a man that's awake, the one man that's awake in the camp just at this time, and he's watching that horizon. He's just waiting in the, for the sun to come up in the east so he could just get the first glimpse of yellow. That means his shift is over, and he's waiting for that moment. And he's got this horn that as soon as the sun begins to break the horizon, he stands up on this rock, and he blows this horn as loud as he can. And it's like a... It's like a um, you know, a bugler blowing reveille for the U.S. Army. And all the guys hear it, and immediately they begin to stir. Now, now they've been trained, they've been taught exactly what to do. Then they're, they're, they're camping out in the battlefield area, and they're, they're, they're trying to get some rest and some sleep before the next day. And when you hear that horn, gentlemen, you get up. You do not stretch and roll around. You do not hit your snooze button. You do not wait for five more minutes. You don't say, hey, wake me up in an hour. You get up, you begin to get dressed as quickly as you can in your armor because you don't know when that horn sounds whether you're just being called to the front lines or whether you're actually being invaded. You get up now and you get dressed and those men hear the sound of that horn and you would expect them to just leap to their feet and begin to put on that breastplate and that helmet to, to put the knife and the sword in their sheath, to put on those long boots that are protected for battle and, and they're doing it but they're just not doing it very fast. You know, instead of, instead of really jumping to it, they're just kind of struggling a little bit because they've been doing this every day for six weeks. None of them's had a bath in six weeks. They've been out there on the edge of this battlefield where the hillside just begins to go up camping. And if you look across the battlefield where the hillside begins to go up, there's the other army, the enemy, and they're camping. And, and they've been doing this for six weeks and every day the horn blows and every day they put on their armor and every day they come and stand at attention in their full armor waiting for the battle. And every day for six weeks, they just stand there and they never fight. That's what's been going on for the army of God. They're dressed for battle, standing on the line, looking across at the army of the Philistines but they don't do anything, and they haven't done anything for weeks. Now, it's the same morning, just several miles this way. 
And there's a flock of sheep and there's a shepherd that is fighting to stay awake there. And he's keeping watch over the flock by night. And he begins to hear footsteps and he jumps to his feet and he looks and he sees a messenger coming from his father's household. And the messenger says, your father has sent me to relieve you. He has another job for you. He wants you to go home. And this young shepherd by the name of David um, turns over the responsibilities for the sheep to this other shepherd boy. And he begins to head back to his father's house. And when he gets there, his father says, listen, I have a job for you. I have some uh, bread and some cheese and I need you to take it to the front lines because your brothers, you know, they're fighting in this battle and, and they need supplies. They've been there for almost six weeks. And David, the, the funny thing about this story is that in just the chapter before this, David was anointed to be the king. David, the shepherd boy, was just anointed by the prophet to be the king. He is anointed by God as the king of Israel, but he's not the king yet. So he's still taking care of the sheep, and he's still doing what his father tells him to do. And his father says, take this food to the front lines, and I want you to give it to your brothers and the other soldiers and take care of them. And so he does that, and he takes off, and he, he basically takes his Ralph's shopping cart, and he pushes it full of food, and he gets it to where they are, probably some six or eight miles from where he is. And when he gets there, he delivers it. And as he walks up, he, he sees the men standing in attention. And, and by now, the sun is well up in the sky. And you could just see the sun shining off their armor. It's bright. It's like blinding. And he sees them, and they're standing there. And he doesn't know why they're just standing there. He expected to hear swords clanging and men crying and, and all the sounds of battle. But he doesn't hear any sounds, just, you know, birds singing. And then all of a sudden, he looks across and he sees someone coming into that meadow. It's this giant figure of a man. We know his name is Goliath. He's, he's almost 10 feet tall. Now, when you hear that, you go, yeah, that's what we tell the children in the children's stories. No, he really was almost 10 feet tall. You picture Shaquille O'Neal, right? And add three feet to that. And his shoulders are that much broader this is a massive, massive human being. His sword is bigger than most men. And he's walking out and he's doing what he's done twice a day, every day for 40 days. He walks out and he curses God and he challenges them to send out a warrior to fight him. And the, all of these trained, valiant warriors, the armies of the one true living God, stand there at attention in their armor and shake in their boots until he finally laughs and he goes back to his camp and he comes back in the afternoon and he does it again and he's been doing it every day for 40 days. And David walks up and he says, what in the world is going on here? And they said, well, you know, this guy comes out, see him, he's coming, look at... And then he begins to hear what he's saying, and he's beginning to curse God. He's beginning to challenge the armies of the one living God. And David is standing back going, um, I think that's your battle call, guys. What are we doing here? And they said, well, you know, nobody can defeat him. He's massive. He's a giant. Nobody can defeat him. David goes over to King Saul and he says, listen, can I fight this guy? It's a long story. You can read it in 1 Samuel. Can I fight this guy? And Samuel says, sure, you go ahead. And he goes out there with his stones, right, to fight him. Now, you know what happens. You know how the story ends. But, but I want you to get this picture in your mind because I want you to go back to those men standing at attention in their uniforms with a sword in their hand and a breastplate on their uh, chest and a helmet on their head, ready to fight Every day they get dressed to fight, 
and every day they do nothing. What's the difference between David, who shows up one day, hears him curse God and says, I'll take care of this, and goes out and does it, and all of those thousands of men who are lined up in battle array? Faith. It's a matter of faith. The armies of the one true God say, we believe in our God. They've heard the story. Some of them probably fought in some of the battles where God has done miraculous things, and they know that our God is a great and awesome God, and He can do anything, and no one can thwart Him. They've heard it. They believe it. They're convinced of it. They just don't really have faith. David walks up and goes, oh, man. I, that one time there was a bear attacked the sheep. I killed the bear with my bare hands. Bare hands. And he says, there was a, there was a lion Mountain lion comes and attacks the sheep. I fought off the mountain lion with my bare hand. You think that's because I'm so strong? Because my God is awesome. God can do anything. He just grabs some stones and goes, come here, you. Whack, and kills him. And then, all, and, then, and then what happens? He bends down and picks up his sword. And he bends down with the other hand, and he lays him out, and he chops off his head. And then, with all of his strength, he bends down and picks up his head from the hair, and he holds it out like this. And what happens to those men? The, the armies of Israel, they get infused with courage, and they go and rout the Philistines. The difference between David who goes out and does that and those men who stood there is faith. I tell you this story not because I want to preach about killing giants or David's mighty valor. I tell you this story because I want you to think about those men who every day are standing there in the full armor, dressed as warriors for God. And in every way, they seem to be warriors for God. They have the name. They have the uniform. They have all the stuff that says these are the warriors of God. Everything except action. And I think about that, and I think about the church today, and I go, man, we have a lot in common with that army of God. So we just get, we get dressed up in our Christianese, and we, we stand out there, and we go, I'm ready to fight for Jesus. I'm ready to stand for God. We, we have all of our, um, you know, our vocabulary down. We have our outfits down, our Christian t-shirts, the fish on the back of the car. We got all that stuff going on. Anybody could tell I'm a Christian, except if they watch how I live. And I just stand there in the armor while God's activity goes on and I just stand and watch. And I want to challenge us today because I began this new a series last week on faith and we talked about what faith is and we, we began to say that God really wants to see us live by faith, not just talk about faith. See, there's a big difference between um, knowing about God and knowing God. Would you agree with that? And there's a big difference between knowing the Word of God and living by the Word of God. Would you also agree with that? And, and that's where real faith comes down. That's what I really want us to get down and dirty and deal with. Because Jesus is talking, you know, take your Bibles. We're going to be all over the place in the Scripture today. But take your Bibles and go to John chapter 13. Gospel of John, fourth book. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 13. And I want you to see, pick it up in verse 17, and while you're turning there, let me just tell you, this is the well-known passage to the Last Supper. Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet, and then he, he begins to lecture them, and he says, listen, I am the king, I am the Lord, I am the master, and I get down and wash people's feet, right? And he says, I'm not just doing this so you'll have clean feet, I'm doing this so you'll understand 
what your role is as a leader because all of you are going to become leaders in my church and you are going to have to know what it is to actually serve other people. And he sets this example for them, right? And then here's what he says in verse 17 after teaching them that. He says in verse 17, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. And if you're a person who writes in your Bible, just circle the word if in that verse. If you know these things, you are blessed. If we just stopped it right there, it would be as if Jesus taught him something and said, now, does everybody get it? Yes. Okay, we'll hand out a pop quiz, three questions, you get them all right, you get to go home, now you'll be blessed. That's not what he says. He goes, okay, you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. See, this whole faith thing is not about what you know, it's about whether or not you live by what you know. And so, Remember, we gave a biblical definition of faith last week. Let me just give it to you again. He said, I said, faith is believing that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. And I want us to think about that because we talked last week about the difference between faith and belief and how those two things are just married. They're basically the same word. And the same word in the Greek version of the Old Testament is found in the book of Proverbs. So I want you to go to Proverbs And I want you to look at Proverbs chapter 3. So if you open your Bible like right to the middle, you're probably in Psalms. You go one book to the right, you'll be in Proverbs. Go to Proverbs chapter 3. And I want to read to you some verses that many of you are very familiar with. Proverbs 3 beginning in verse 5. He says, Trust in the Lord with all your hearts and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. Trust. It's that same word in the, in the Greek Old Testament is the same word as in the Greek New Testament where he says believe or, or have faith. It's the exact same concept. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. Now, how many of you would admit that you tend to lean on your own understanding? Yeah, me too. We, we have a certain understanding of what things are, and we, we make our decisions based on that. And basically what God's Word is telling us is, listen, it, you need to understand that as a human being, your instincts are usually wrong. Your instincts are usually wrong. That instinct you have to take care of yourself first, wrong. That instinct you have to make sure that you are uh, watched out for while other people suffer, wrong. He says, your instincts are usually wrong. God gives you truth, and he says, I want you to live by this truth, even if it goes against your instincts. Just like Jesus washing those disciples' feet, right? Jesus says, listen, um, I'm the master, so I'm going to serve. And and he said, uh, the greatest in the kingdom shall be the what? Yeah, the servant of all. If you want to be great, make yourself least, right? Right? That's counterintuitive, isn't it? That's just the opposite of what we naturally think. And God's saying, listen, there are some truths, some, the way I designed the universe, the way I designed people that you don't understand and don't make any sense to you. But when I tell you to do something, don't lean on your own understanding. Trust in me. I'm God. I've got it right. And we go, yeah, I know you're God, but I think I got this one right. And God says, don't lean on your own understanding. Some of God's commands are just counterintuitive, you know, and a lot of us, because God's commands are counterintuitive, we think we should be God's special consultant, don't we? 
Like, you know, hey, God, you got any questions? Just let me know. Because I've been thinking about this. I know how we could fix this whole family thing. If you just listen to me, I got this whole thing figured out. Lord, I got this whole job path thing figured out. I've been thinking about this. If you just take a minute and check with me, I can get you on the right path. You know, we would never say that to God, except, man, if you were to write down your prayers and then go back and read them, it would be amazing. You'd be like, wow, I am really telling God what to do. Like, he doesn't know. Instead of calling out to God and saying, God, listen, here's, here's what I think I need, but what I really want is your best for my life, whatever that is. I'm going to trust in you with all my heart. We're not meant to be God's counselors. Some of us have misunderstood the nature of faith. And we've, we've got this idea that faith is believing in God, right? Didn't you talk to people and in, in, in the conversation, if you want to talk about God, the conversation will go this far. Either I believe in God or I don't believe in God. And that, you know, oh, yeah, I'm good. I believe in God. You know, there's a lot of people who believe in God. If you believe in God, congratulations to you. You know who else believes in God? Satan and all his demons. And, and if you go to James chapter 2, we won't turn there. We'll, we'll go there in a minute. But in James 2.19, he says um, that you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So congratulations. You believe in God. You're in great company. The demons believe in God. Believing in God is not true saving faith. See, there's a whole concept where, the, and, and we see it come up in the book of James multiple times, where he basically says, faith without works is dead. Now, some of you at this point, I, you see where I'm going with this. I'm going to really start meddling in your life. I'm going to start getting into practical stuff, and I'm going to start saying it's not enough for you to stand there in the Christian uniform, but you're going to have to actually get out there and trust God enough to get out there and fight giants when necessary and represent God when necessary and get involved in what God is doing. You know where I'm going with this. I'm not going to surprise anybody with this, but some of you, as I start talking about faith without works is dead, you better get up and do something because even the demons believe in God. You need to understand something. Some of you are going, well, wait a minute pastor, you know, doesn't the Bible say that it's not about works? I mean, isn't that the whole thing with Christianity? It's by grace, through faith, and not by works. In fact, turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, and let's look at this. Because Paul tells us what faith is like in Ephesians 2, and he talks about the power of faith. So go to the book of Ephesians in your New Testament, right after Galatians, and go to Ephesians chapter 2. And I want you to look at verse 8. Very well-known passage. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the what? Gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So God is saying, listen, I know how we are. He knows how we are. We, we, we think everything's about us, right? And, and so... You know those bumper stickers, if you're, if you're as old as me, you'll remember this. You know, remember those bumper stickers in the 70s you would see like on the back of VW buses and they said, I found it? Remember those I found it bumper stickers? The people had come to Christ and they, they were announcing, I found it, I found it. You know what? You didn't find anything. God found you. You know, he just like dug you out from underneath a pile of leaves somewhere. He's like, what's that smell? He found you and pulled you out. He's like, wow, look at this. And he saved you, right? 
Ephesians 2.8 says, He gave you the faith to believe. You didn't even hear the gospel and go, Oh, yes, I got all this faith. I'm going to use my faith to believe. No, it says even the faith to believe is a gift from God. So, so God's saying, let's not make this about you. He says, it is not by works your salvation. And I'm telling you that because I don't want any of you to boast about your salvation as if somehow you had achieved it, right? And a lot of us have read those verses before, but then that's like one side of this teeter-totter, right? So there's this teeter-totter, and it's like shifted like this, and on this side we have Ephesians 2, 8, 9, which says it's all by grace and not by works. On the other side of the teeter-totter, we have James chapter 2. So go back to James chapter 2 now. James is right after the book of Hebrews in the back of your New Testament. James chapter 2, we're going to pick it up at verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? Now, guys, this is important. Remember, I said earlier, how many of you are really tired? And I said, look and see if there's a really tired person next to you and elbow them. Now's the time to elbow them. Okay, because I want everybody awake for this. I don't want you to miss this because this is really important because he's asking this question can that kind of faith save a person? This is eternal significance here. Can you be saved if you have faith without works? That's the question he's going to ask and answer. Here's what he says in verse 15. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But will you recognize, are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. And now the teeter-totter is going in exactly the opposite direction. And now we're saying, wow. Obviously, works is, is a big deal. Works is like the whole thing. The faith without works is not even enough to save you. So there's some kind of faith like I believe in God, but it's not even enough, enough to save you, let alone get you through your daily life walking with God. If you're really going to walk this walk of faith, how does this work? Because on the one hand, we have Ephesians telling us it's all about faith and not about works. On the other hand, we have it saying, yeah, but the kind of faith that has no works is no faith at all. So what's the reality? The reality is when the teeter-totter is straight and we see life-changing faith. You see, there is no saving faith apart from works. There is no saving works apart from faith. Even in Ephesians, right after the verses we read of 2, 8, and 9, in verse 10, Paul says, For you are God's workmanship, workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. That's Ephesians 2.10. So there is, there's no disagreement between Paul and James on this. They are both saying the same thing. You need faith, and it needs to be the kind of faith that actually has some evidence. Now, 
I, I wasn't gonna. I, I don't know if I was gonna bring this up, but I, I, it, I feel a little awkward whenever I'm talking about myself like this. So whatever. But like some of you already know this, but most of you don't realize I'm a professional bodybuilder. I have three um, percent body fat. I run at least five miles every day. I eat nothing but vegetables. I was in the Mr. Olympian contest last year, finished second, but I think the guy in front of me was on steroids. So honestly, I think I'm probably the top bodybuilder in the world today. <laughs> There's more than one way to build a body, but that's not the point. But, but you know, when I started to say that, there was a, a few like... Um, Muffled Snickers right at first. Uh, ooh, Snickers. And anyway, there, and, and when, I said, when I said 3% body fat, some of you began to look at each other like, is it okay to call him out on this? And, and you were going, I, I don't, so, so does anybody believe that? Does anybody believe I'm really a bodybuilder like that? No, why not? I have at least 3% body fat. Um. There's no evidence. You can stand here and look at me and go, that's not really the body of Mr. Olympias. That, uh, I, not only that, not only there's no evidence that I'm a bodybuilder, but there's extreme evidence to the contrary, right? Now, why, why do I make this joke? Because I want us to understand something. There's a whole bunch of us, all dressed in armor, with a sword in our hand, standing up like the warrior army of God. And there's absolutely no evidence beyond that that God's even a part of our lives. And God says, that's not true saving faith. See, it's one thing to believe in God. It's another thing to believe God. And when we're talking about this idea of true saving faith... We're talking about actually believing God, actually taking God at His word. True saving faith involves walking as though we believed that God is who He says He is, and He will do what He says He will do. And guys, we need to take stock of our lives, and we need to think in terms of our practical stuff. And some of you, by now, you're in the second week of the series on faith, and you're thinking, I'm not coming back for week three, because every time he talks, he makes me feel like my faith is, is a little uh, not where it needs to be. That's okay. Hang in there. Because we're going to get practical. You're going to have to stop and ask yourself, in my practical life, in my relationships, for example, do I live as though I believe that God is who he says he is? And he will do what he says he will do. Or do I live as though I got to take care of myself and look out for number one? Like some of you in here today, let's just get real honest with ourselves. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Just get honest with yourself. Ask yourself this question. Is there anybody that you haven't forgiven? I mean, I'm guessing that most of us as Christians, we appreciate the forgiveness of God, right? 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 And I think most of us as Christians have heard that the Bible tells us that we are to forgive one another, right? And that we're not to let any root of bitterness grow up in our lives because it will ruin everything, right? We've heard that, right? 
And yet, how many of us are sitting here going, man, you just don't understand how much he hurt me, or you don't understand what they did to me, and I just can't forgive. And what you're saying is, I, I believe in God, I just don't believe God. And you're going to have to make some decisions about your relationships. Some of you are in relationships that you know are pulling you away from God instead of moving you toward God, and you know that that relationship doesn't have a place in your life and that it's not honoring to God and God is not pleased, and yet you're staying in that relationship because you like it so much and it makes you feel so good and you don't want to give it up, and what if no one else will ever care about me? And you're with all those struggles, and what you're really saying is, I believe in God, I'm just not sure if I believe God. Some of you with your finances are just going, you know what, I got to do everything I can to hold on to stuff because I got to take care of me and I'm not going to give much away because if I give something away, I might do without it. My gosh, what if I don't have enough? I certainly don't want to be in a situation where I don't have enough. And you know that God's word says that you're to give sacrificially and generously and you're to make other people your priority and you're, that when God gives you blessings, he's pouring them through you to other people and you're saying, yeah, but I just got to hold on and make sure that I'm okay. And what you're really saying is I believe in God, I'm just not sure I believe God. And so this is very practical for us, guys. This is not just those other guys out there somewhere, those bad Christians that, you know, have the wrong theology or those unbelievers who don't even understand about God. Now, I'm talking to you and I'm talking to me. We got some issues in our lives about the way we walk by our so-called faith. And God is saying, I want to see something change because you are keeping yourself in a cage and you're not living the life that I have in mind for you. And so I have a challenge for you this week, and I, I, I know we're running a little long, but just bear with me. I just have a challenge for you this week. I want to challenge you. Last week, we, we introduced Hebrews chapter 11, and I said there in Hebrews 11, after it gives us a definition of faith, and it says that apart from faith, it's impossible to please God, it begins to give us examples of all these Old Testament people. There's like 18 or 20 of them in there where they tell us how those people walk by faith. So here's a challenge. You don't have to take it if you don't want to, but you'll grow if you take this challenge. You take your own Bibles this week at home, blow the dust off the cover if you have to, and you open to the book of Hebrews chapter 11, and you begin to read about these people, and then look up their stories in the Old Testament and find out how they actually walk by faith, and then ask yourself, how much does my life look like that? Or what would God have me do to change? I think it will cause you so much growth. But here's the thing I want to leave you with because I don't want you to walk out of here with your head hanging down going, man, do I even have saving faith? Maybe my life is not really pleasing to God. I just want us to take an honest look in the mirror and then let God lift us up and put us where He wants us to be. Amen? Okay? So, so here's what I want to close with. The, the number one hero in, the, in, in Hebrews chapter 11 is a guy named Abraham. He's the father of the faithful. And, and we're given his example. Even James used his example, right? He said, look at Abraham. He offered his own son, Isaac, on the altar because he wanted to trust God. Now that's faith. That's a man of faith. That's what it is. And you look at that and go, man, I could never be like that. I don't know how I could ever walk by that much faith. Well, let me tell you something about Abraham and his wife, Sarah. Abraham, when he was traveling went to this land where the king saw his wife, and his wife is beautiful. The king looks at Abraham's wife and goes, man, she's gorgeous. And Abraham goes, oh, you like her? She's my sister. Would you like to have her? And he gives his wife to another man. Hello. 
Now, God looks at that and gets all bent out of shape, as God sometimes does. And he comes to Abraham, smacks him on the side of the head and goes, go get your wife back. And God goes and intervenes and brings his wife back. And God says, you stupid idiot, don't do that again, right? I'm paraphrasing. And then, and then just a couple chapters later, he goes to another land. There's another king who also thinks his wife is a hottie, and he gives his wife to her, to him. And again, God intervenes, smacks him in the head, gives him his wife back, and goes, don't be an idiot. Trust me. And then down the road, now they get old, and still there's no baby. The child of promise that God said, if you trust me, I'm going to give you this child. I'm going to make you a great nation. Your wife is going to bear this son for you. And now his wife is old, and she is no longer has uh, other kings chasing her. She is not looking her best. She's way past childbearing years, and she is depressed about it. And she comes to Abraham, and, and her mascara is smeared, and she has been crying, and she looks bad, and she says, he says, what's the matter? And she says, you know what? I'm just no good for you. You know, I've not, I haven't been able to give you any kids. You might as well just take my beautiful young servant girl over there and sleep with her. Maybe she'll give you kids. And Abraham goes, okay. And he does it. Now... That is the father of faith. Why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because I don't want you to lose heart. I don't want you to give up. Listen, I know your faith is not as strong as it needs to be. God knows your faith is not as strong as it needs to be. But I want you to understand that he is not just sitting back and going, it's okay, just be faithless. Just have weak faith. Just have faith sometimes in some areas. God is not looking at it that way. God is reaching out to you and he's saying, listen, I have a plan for your life and it's better than you could imagine. Trust me and let me build your faith. Walk with me and see if I don't prove myself to be a God who is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do. And if we will trust God like that, if we will walk with him like that, you will see that he will begin to do things in your life and you'll be freed and you'll be like, wow, I've been missing this all this time. Walk by faith, not by sight. Trust in a God who is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do. Let's stand together. Just take a minute and bow your heads, please. Close your eyes. Forget about your notes. Put, don't, just, just stand up and bow your heads, please. I just want you to think for a second, and just you and God, and just get along with God and just think for a second, and ask God, Lord, what area of my life am I not walking by faith? And the first thing that pops into your head, you'll want to skip that and ask for something else, but don't. Go back to the first thing. Now, first thing that God spoke to you. And I just want to encourage you, to challenge you, to actually take him at his word and trust him, and to actually give that area of your life to God. That person you won't forgive, that relationship you won't give up, those financial matters that you got all messed up, the fear that you're living by, the habit that you can't let go of, just whatever it is, I'm just encouraging you. Trust him on one thing. Just give him the one thing. Say, God, please, let me walk by faith in this area. Help me. 
I believe in you. I want to live like I believe you. Father, as we go from this place, weak and tired vessels, often tired because we've been doing it on our own, our own way, trying to go a route that is nothing like the plan you have for our lives. We need to be undergirded by your strength. We need to be filled with your spirit. We need to be encouraged with your hope. We need to walk according to the faith that Jesus died to give us. And so I pray for your blessing to fall upon each person. That, that verse that we read that says we will be blessed if we do it, you would help us to do it. And may each person be blessed. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Don't forget to read Hebrews 11. <laughs>